Please put your hand up and uh, the stewards will bring them round. We're going to be reading from Ephesians 4. Uh, Ephesians 4. And when I get there, I'll tell you the page number. Uh, any hands up for Bibles? Uh, one over there. Two. Uh, page 1175, if you're using the church Bible. Ephesians chapter 4, I'm going to read uh, from verses 1 to 16 and then we'll just open that up for a short while just to see what God uh, would speak to us. The Bible talks about itself where it says it's living and active, sharpening a double-edged sword and it penetrates. And so as a church we believe in the authority of the Bible that's been given by God and we believe that it will change our lives if we really take it seriously. So if you are a visitor here, um, treat these words... Uh, when I read them from Scripture as God's Word. That's why we often say this is God's Word to us. This is how God is speaking to us. So, uh, any others need a Bible? Ephesians 4, page 1175. Great. Uh, So, verses 1 to 16. These are the words of Paul the Apostle. Um, And uh, at the time, he's, he's chained up, and that sort of explains the first part. But this is what he says. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. And this is why it says... When he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then will we no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, as each part does its work. So, I love the church. Um, I'm guessing you do as well, or to a certain measure, but I love the church. And um, I accept that the church is not perfect. Uh, The church, the word means, uh, uh, the ecclesia, it means those who are called out, uh, been set apart, part of the family of God. And that's what we are, we're a family. We're a family, and I love the family, but like in every family, sometimes there are struggles. Uh, All of us are in some sort of family, and I would imagine at some point we've had an argument over the Sunday roast, certainly uh, we have. It takes a long while for people to realise that I'm right. (laughs) But I don't get up from the um, Sunday lunch table and wander off, or leave with, you know, I'm not getting my way, or I'm losing the argument, so I'm walking away. And we meet for Sunday lunch every week, right? You don't just give up because you've got a difference of opinion. And so when we're a church family, sometimes we have differences of opinions. 
this passage helps us to uh, uh, work out a way of working that out because we're family. And it, when you have a family, you have diversity of opinion, you have diversity of personalities, and that's great. God made them all. Um, and what we do is we wrestle with one another, not literally, uh, obviously, that means things have gone too far, uh, but uh, we wrestle with one another using scripture, uh, talking in love and acceptance, bearing with one another, forgiving whatever grievance we have against one another. So this is part of being a family, the church family. Ephesians 2, just earlier, uh, before that passage, it talks about that we're fellow citizens, God's people, members of his household, built on the foundations of the apostles and the prophets. Christ is the chief cornerstone, a dwelling place, the people, not the building, the people is the church, a dwelling place where the Holy Spirit lives. And that's what we want, don't we? Yes, I thought so. Um, It's where relationships are nurtured. It's wonderful as a minister to see people, uh, new people coming to the church, they get to know people and they become friends and everything else. And we believe in that. We believe. We call it fellowship. We have a special word for it. Uh, it's from the Bible, Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to prayer and breaking of bread. So there was a devotion about that to each other as well. And we recognise there's all sorts of giftings. Uh, these ones mentioned here are particularly sort of leadership gifts. We recognise that all of us uh, can pray. All of us, the Bible says, uh, are priests, in a sense. We're the priesthood of all believers. But we recognise that some have certain gifts. And it's important to recognise that as well. But that's not the only people who have any gifts. Everybody has gifts, uh, as Christ apportions them. And it's important that we use those gifts to help build up the body and each other. Now Paul in verse 1 there, if you see it, uh, he reminds us he's a prisoner of the Lord. It's probably written when he was a prisoner in Rome. So he's saying, I'm a prisoner of the Lord. But even so, he's going to urge us. You know, he's not just telling us, he's going to urge us. His circumstances weren't great. And for us, I suppose, and as we've mentioned, blessed be your name, you give, you take away, and the good and the bad, which we've heard uh, this morning, we can see Paul's circumstances weren't good, but he's still encouraging. He's still looking for the godly things in life. It's a great example to us that whatever the circumstances, good or bad, uh, we're under the Lord and we can do good as we are these ambassadors for Christ. And Paul moves this exhortation. He urges. He's not saying, I'd quite like it if you did this or it would be good if you did this. He's urging us, he urges uh, the church in Ephesus to live a life worthy of the calling they'd received. And what was that calling? It was new life, which we've said, where's she gone? She's not there anymore. (laughs) She's my illustration. Gone. Uh, New life. Um, So we see physical new birth, but we're also looking for that spiritual new birth as well, the spiritual birth in Christ. Uh, All of us are spiritual beings. We've all got... Uh, a kind of a sense, I would imagine. And we were talking about this at Alpha on Thursday. Um, you know, you've ever walked into a room and just feel uncomfortable about it? Or you walk into a room and feel very comfortable? We have a certain, if you like, some people call it intuition. Uh, whatever you want to call it. But we're all, we're spiritual beings as well. And the Bible says we have to be spiritually reborn. And there's only one way to do that, is becoming a follower, follower of Jesus Christ and accepting that he's paid for all the wrongdoings on the cross. He dealt with it. He disarmed the enemy, the devil, the one who causes all the evil in the world. He disarms him, makes a mockery of him, and then he calls his church, in the meantime, before he comes again, to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Because we have new life, physically and spiritually, a new people, people belonging to God. We've found freedom, forgiveness, purpose, all of it found in only one person, Christ. And now, Paul is saying, live it out. 
I urge you to live out the calling you have received. Live it out, because otherwise, Ian is just preaching just words. If I don't live it out, or you don't live it out, then what does it mean? Anyone can say the words, but we've got to show by example as well. And we have a choice, don't we? We can live our lives, uh, we can choose to have our lives appropriate, verse 1, to the calling we've received, or not. Well, what is it? That calling uh, is to live for Christ. Elsewhere in one of his other letters, Philippians 1.21, Paul said, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. This, he was saying this earthly life for me now is to live for Christ. I'm going to die to my old self. And that's what we're celebrating two weeks, I think, is it two weeks from today? Uh, the baptisms. We've got four people so far. Uh, if you're interested in that, or you think God's challenged you, as Bernard said, then come and speak to us. It's, that's new life. I'm doing this because there'll be water under here. I'm not pointing at the floor. Well, I'm pointing at the floor, but the floor won't be there. There'll be a big hole and water in it. And we baptise them. And what we do, we put them right under the water, not because we don't like them. Um, We get them up pretty quick. Um, But because they completely die to their old self. It's buried. And then the new comes up. The new comes up. The Bible says the old has gone and the new has come. Now live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. And he urges them to do that. Die to yourselves. Live a life worthy of the calling you have received. We had a recent picture, didn't we, in one of our services, and someone said that, uh, you know, our lives, the seed has to go to the ground. It's dead. Uh, But it has to die to itself before it can uh, spring new life. And we have to die to ourselves and live for Christ and his kingdom and his calling. And Paul here is urging that church in Ephesus and he urges you this morning to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. So firstly, he pleads for unity, doesn't he? If we're a community of people and we've got all this diversity and everything else, we have different opinions. He says, verse 3, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Uh, The history of the church can be quite checkered if you look at it. There's quite a few arguments and, um, and sometimes the arguments get in the way of the message. The message is good, Uh, but sometimes the messengers can uh, get it wrong a little bit. But Paul says he pleads for unity. So we'll have different opinions and different ideas, sometimes different biblical views uh, on things. When we sit in the office, it's not all we do. Uh, We do other stuff as well, but often in the mornings particularly we sit in the office. And it's amazing. I'll have one person come in and say, we should be doing this and this, 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 and this is really bugging me. And then they go and we pray for them. We send them off with our blessing. And then someone else comes in. They might say something completely opposite because their passion is for something else. And we pray for them, we send them off as well. We send a lot of people off. <laughs> we like the church scattered. We send them off to do good in the community, to do the things of God. There's no big problem having a different view because it might just be where your passion lies. The only problem is if it comes on what we... You know when you say to someone, you know, you're being really dogmatic about that. You ever heard that? Two of you have? Good. Very dogmatic about that. It's where we get the word dogma from. There's certain dogmas that makes us a church. So we believe that Jesus died for us on the cross. That is dogmatic. If you come in and say, Ian, I'm not really, I don't really believe that, but we're okay, we can still call ourselves people. I say, well, you know, actually, that's a dogmatic. I'm going to be dogmatic about it. It's a dogma. Um, but we can have different doctrines sometimes, and it's okay to work that out. But Jesus is the Son of God, or I believe in the resurrection. These are things that um, I'm not to, I'm prepared to debate, but we won't say, oh, okay, it's okay, your truth can be your truth, and my truth can be mine. Uh, our truth, Jesus said, I am the truth, and it's his truth, and he is the one who is true, and has stood the test of time uh, for all these years, despite people trying to squash Christianity all over the world. Uh, actually, it's flourishing. We've got about a third of the world now in our little family. 
um, which is pretty good. I'm not aware of any other organisation, company or, or religious group that have got that. So he's doing okay. Um, so we can differ on doctrine and opinion, we can differ on interpretation, but we need to listen and engage. We can manage conflict in a biblical way. This is the other thing. People come in and I say, well, have you spoken to the person yet? No, 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 I'm not doing that. And I get Matthew's Gospel out. First go to the person. Then take two or three others. And then come to the church. So I throw them out the office again and send them on their way and say, go and speak to the person. I do listen. I do listen. So how do we do it? Well, verse 2 comes down once again to character and attitude. We've got to be humble. The Bible says we have to be humble. You might, I mean, dare I say, you might even be wrong. So you might as well listen to the other person first. Uh, You can reason gently. Uh, We have to be patient, Paul says. Uh, Sometimes you have to let them speak. When people, you go to, you go out places, you see people arguing. They're outdoing one another. And you see, that's why, that's why arguments get loud. Have you noticed that? Because they're both speaking at the same time. And they both want to be heard. It gets louder and louder. And in the end, you just walk out the room, let them get on with it, because no one's going to, no one's going to win. It says, Paul says, be gentle and patient. Let's, let people speak. When I was at theological college, uh, we did pastoral care and counselling. And uh, one of the biggest, the counsellors in there will, will hopefully agree with me. If they don't, um, then I have a counselling session with them. And it won't be long before they do. But what Spurgeon's told me was the biggest thing about counselling is listening. And I struggle with that, because I'm a doer. And I want to fix stuff. And sometimes you've just got to listen and take it on board. Be patient. Uh, bearing with one another. So often I see people do the other. I've had enough of this, that's it, I'm leaving. Um, bear with one another. Speak to them. First to them. Sort it out. And then maybe, if you can't, then fine. Come see us. And I shared this little illustration, because, uh, but it was a Sunday evening. And I don't feel I got the most out of it, so I'm going to share it again. But apologies for those that are in the Sunday evening service and for those that weren't. Why not? And you would have heard it twice. Um, but as you know, I like golf. You do know that, right? Good. So, when we go to golf competition, uh, I'm with an, the one I've been in recently is with another partner. So I've got my mate, and uh, we're playing golf against uh, two others. But I regularly play a golf against two other people uh, with my mate. Nigel is his name. Thought you might not to know that. Um, anyway, we were playing against these two. And um, what happens is, what, this, this is true, and they were playing golf, and they were two up. That means they're two ahead of us. It doesn't take a lot of working out. They're two up. And there's only four holes to play, right? And, um, and we have a rule where we never apologise. So if I hit a bad shot, the competition I'm in at the moment, you hit a shot, and then the, he has to play my next shot. You understand? Foursomes. So it's more pressure because you know if you kind of mess the shot up, you put your partner in a bit of trouble. Whereas if you do it yourself, you're the one who has to get out of it. But we make a thing, we say no apologies. Uh, because you don't mean to hit a bad shot, do you? Well, if you do, you should give up the game. It's not the point of the game. Um, so the others are two up, and which means we're two down. So four holes to play, here we are. And what happens is, their bloke hits the first tough shot. Now they're two up with four to play. They should be playing smart. But he gets his driver out and he puts one out of bounds. Yes. And we try not to smile. Because we're bearing with one another, forgiving one another, whatever grievance we've got. But we were sniggering. And uh, his partner had a right go at him. Started to say, why did you take the driver? Why have you put it out of bounds? That's stupid and all this sort of stuff. And I looked at my partner and went, we've beat them. We've got them. Because we've got, their heads have gone. And we, we, don't, we don't do that. And we did. We won the next four holes. We beat them by two. You understand the maths? Right, so <laughs> we beat them by two. And the point I'm trying to make 
The point I'm trying to make is when we have infighting, whether it's in your family life, work life, but certainly in church life, the enemy looks at us and he thinks, oh, we're going to get beat. Because he loves it where there's disunity in the church. Loves it. And so therefore, Paul is urging us to keep the, uh, the, the unity of the Spirit in our churches. So I'd urge you, have you made every effort in this disjointed family that we are, uh, that we love each other as best we can, recognising that sometimes you're going to get upset. That's just family. But we forgive each other, we bear with one another, and we move forward as a family, effective community. And then that leads me on to my second point, which you'll be glad to know is my last. I've only got two. Uh, see the maths there again, what I did? Just in case you're not following. Effective ministry. We're all different, which is good. And, and God will use us differently in many ways. Many ways. We have three congregations. Uh, some of you may not know that. We've got one here, we've got one at Sunnymead, and we have one at South Green. Lots of different ministries go on in those congregations. Some things that Sunnymead do, we won't do here. Some things that South Green do, we won't do here. And some things we do here, they won't do there. And some things we all do. Because we like doing lots of different things. And different people have different passions. And the Bible says in this passage, grace has been given. Gifts are given. Verses 7 and 8, which are God-given, which means there's no room for pride or self-exaltation. It's purely uh, the grace as Christ, verse 7, apportioned it. And that means as a people, with all our diversity and all the different passions, we seek to know what God is calling us to do. Our ministries, it means we have to ask questions. What drives your passion? You're going to think I have hundreds of people come to my office. We do, but it's over a long period of time. But someone might come in and say, we should do more evangelism. And they're passionate about evangelism. And I will agree with them. I'll say, I think you're right. We should be doing more evangelism. That's what we should do. And, uh, and I send them out. You're getting this, this common theme now. I send them out. I say, go and be part of the solution. Don't come with just a problem. And then the next person will come in and say, we've got to show more hospitality. I say, you're right, we should show more hospitality. And I send them out to go and be hospitable. Brilliant, love it. I'm sitting in my office doing nothing. <laughs> I say to Sarah, who's next? Send them in. Send them in. Next person will say, well, we should be doing more for the persecuted church. And I say, you're absolutely right. Go and organise it. And we send them off. See? That's what we do. Next person comes and says, we should be praying more. We should be praying more. All those evangelists are out there trying to win souls for Christ. But you should be praying. I say, you're right. Set up a prayer meeting. And we, what do we do? We send them out, right? And they go and do a prayer meeting, which is fantastic. We love that. Then someone else will say, we're not pastoral enough. We're not caring for our people enough. I say, you're absolutely right. We should be doing more. When do you want to go on the team? We don't have to send that person out. They do a runner before we can <laughs> rope them in. This point I'm trying to make is, everyone can get frustrated with everyone because everyone's got different gifts. The evangelist will say, we need to be doing more evangelism. I'm fed up with the church, they're not doing enough. The person with the pastoral care says, it's okay winning new souls for Christ, but what about taking care of the people we've got? Um, Or what about the prayer for both? Without prayer we can't do anything. Everyone's got their passion. And this passage talks about the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers, to equip the people of God not to do it all, and, and thankfully I've got that at this church. The whole, I'll, I'll go through the membership list. There's hardly anybody doing nothing, and normally it would be to, uh, they're just frown, and not that they wouldn't do anything. We've got lots of people serving, that's brilliant. But once you know what God has called you to, once you know the grace that Christ has apportioned, then commit to it, 
and, and take it seriously. And the Bible says, never be lacking in zeal. Keep your spiritual service further, serving the Lord. I was going to tell you now, um, I have no indication of when I will leave this church. But you can kick me out when I start moaning all the time about the role that I'm doing. Because that's the time to leave. And so, if you might be in a ministry, and if, all you, if you're moaning, if it's just a burden, and there's nothing in it, maybe it's time we look at the ministry and looking at the giftings. Once said to me, know what your yeses are, to know what your noes are. I know what I need to say yes to, the preaching, the teaching, the leadership. Um, but I have to also say no to some things. Do I know what God has called me to? What's my passion? What's my call? And you have to ask that question of yourself as well. Because I'm not on my own, and nor is the leadership. I'm supported by so many people. So many of you do so many good things. But some of you might be feeling a call um, or a passion for something. Well, come and see us. And you know what I'm going to do once I've seen you. I'm going to send you off and say, go and do it. We want a church that's releasing people into ministries, releasing the church to grow. That's why we are passionate about CIO, because it's going to do exactly that. We've got to go through the legalities, but it's going to be worth it, because then we're going to free up people over the course of the next few years and flourish in their ministry, rather than being bottlenecked, uh, coming through that office where, you know what I do, I send them out. I get asked to do many things, but I have to know what my yeses are, to know what my noes are. And... Um, And we need to recognise all our gifts. In this context, they're ministry gifts, verse 11, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers. There are people here that are gifted in those ministries. There are people I'm seeing soon that feel maybe a call to those ministries. We're raising up people, calls to those ministries. But all of them, they're all good. And it's a privilege to see them flourish. But they're all, verse 12, to prepare God's people for works of service. And I've got a little story. You seem very excited. It's a really good story. It was sent to me on email by one of my elders. I won't say who. Thanks, Kevin. Um, but it says this, and I quite like this. It does sort of sum. Doesn't really sum us up, but I think it's quite jovial. And you've heard a lot of what I think. So this is just some humour. There's a story about four people. They're called everybody, somebody, anybody, and nobody. There was an important job to be done, and everybody was asked to do it. Everybody was sure somebody would do it. Anybody could have done it, but nobody did. Somebody got angry about that because it was everybody's job. Everybody thought anybody could do it, but nobody realised that everybody wouldn't do it. It ended up that everybody blamed somebody when nobody did what anybody could have done. Do you like that? If you don't, it was Kevin that sent it to me. When I look at all the different things we do in church, there's a lot of anybody, somebody, nobodies, and, you know, would have, should have, could have. Uh, but we all need to play our part. One of our streams that under CIO is service or ministry, and it's the people of God taking their gifts and serving and contributing to the life of the church. Uh, we want to provide an environment for other people to flourish. And why do we want to do that? Because verse 12, so that the body may be built up, not torn down, we're not looking to tear down anyone. We want to build up the people of God. We believe that's God's call in our lives. So it might be growing in its discipleship and become, verse 13, mature. Verse 14 to 16 shows a comparison. It says, then you'll be no longer like infants being deceived by false teaching. You hear loads of stuff in the world, but we want to hear from God's living and active word, the one that sharpens a double-edged sword, the one that penetrates and changes lives and relationships. Verse 15, instead we want to speak truth, recognising the gifting. Then we grow more like Christ, who the Bible says is head of the church. Verse 16, we build ourselves up, not tearing down, supporting one another, joined to one another, all in love, 
as each part does its work. But I do hear tearing down in church life because we're family. And sometimes we get it wrong. And emotions get in. And people come into my office and they come and say, oh, so-and-so, and blah, blah, blah. And I send them out. Go and speak to them. We pray for them. We care. But we're a family. Let's learn to get on with each other. Which, if you're a visitor, honestly, we do. Uh, I'm not painting a bad picture, but... But, um, but it's in the passage and we need to preach it. And he is head of the church, Jesus Christ himself. Head of the church. Thank God for that. That's good news. It was his idea on this rock, the, uh, Peter's confession of faith, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not come against it. And so for, therefore we can be sure that the church of Christ will flourish. It will flourish and it makes a difference. It's made a difference. It's been in the news a lot with all the tragedies of the last few weeks. We've seen the way the church can respond. And I believe not only there, but here in Billericay as well, churches in this country will be asked to respond more and more and more as things get a bit tougher uh, in the world. And he's head of the church, he leads us. So, to finish, we must have unity. If there are problems, sort them out. If you're going to come and see me, that's no problem, but I'll send you out uh, to change. To go and change somebody's life. You know, be positive. Uh, sort them out. Have you made every effort, Paul asks. Recognise that we're not all the same. Let's be happy about that. It'd be a boring world if we were. Recognise there's different gifts and different passions. It doesn't mean to say the evangelist is wrong, to want more evangelism. Or, and equally, it means the evangelist can't moan because we seem to be doing a lot in pastoral care. We need everybody. We need everybody doing their giftings and exercising them. So are you using your gifts? As we've got lots of opportunities. Uh, then we can grow together uh, in, in truth and love, remembering that everything we do emanates from Christ, remembering that all of you have a purpose to do good for God, to reflect him to the world as a gospel, good news people. Because as I often say, quoting somebody else, it wasn't my line, but I thought it was good, so I plagiarised it, the world at its worst needs the church at its best. And it does. We don't need a church at its worst, we need a church at its best. Then we're an effective community, then we have effective ministry of God's people. And for that we need him reigning in our hearts, to be filled, to overflowing with the Spirit of God, to be saturated in the Spirit of God, to recognise the power of God that is at our disposal. Uh, we've heard of a healing uh, today. We should be praying more and more for things like that, praying for the miracles, praying for God to speak to us as he does. Uh, we want the church literally, which we're going to sing in a second, on fire for God. Making a difference, seeking his kingdom, not wasting time. There's just too much to do. There's a lot to do here at Billericay, but across the nation. Seeking his kingdom first, not wasting time, not seeking my wants first, seeking his wants first. And then the church changes lives, changes communities for good and for God. And... Uh, you're the church. You're the church and you have it in you. You have the spirit of God in you to make that difference. You're the ecclesia. You're called out and you're called out to be effective in your ministry. So if we can just imagine to finish that this is now my office. I want to send you out <laughs> into the world. Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. And when the church is scattered, it's great that we're here. But I love the idea now that we can just go out and flood Billericay wherever you're going and make a difference in all those little spots. You can choose to be grace-filled, love-filled, to make a difference, to help, to serve and make a huge difference to our community. And you do it, all of it, for Christ through his head of the church. Paul urges you to live a life worthy 
of the calling you've received. And that calling is a privilege. Let me pray for you, and then uh, I'll hand back to Nigel. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its challenges. And I pray, Lord, that all of us will be touched and inspired, uh, knowing that you're a positive God and that we are positive people sent out into the world to make a positive difference. We thank you for all the opportunities we have in that. And I thank you, Lord, that we are a body, one body, many parts, and that it's when we all come together we function efficiently and effectively. I pray for all the relationships within the church. And I pray, Lord, that we'll be thankful there's diversity in gifting and in opinions. And I pray, though, equally, we'll bear with one another, lifting one another up, thinking better of others than ourselves. Help us to be that gospel people in our communities, our workplaces, and our families. In Jesus' name, amen.